Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. Thank you, guys and lady. So is it really a trio or is it a quartet? Because I'm thinking the fourth, the fourth one... The fourth one is rather necessary, I do believe. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Make sure my levels are correct here. Turn up just a little bit. Matthew, chapter 6. So as you know, today is uh, the second in a series on classic sermons, and I chose for this morning a message from S.M. Lockridge. How many of y'all know S.M. Lockridge? You do? All right. One? All right. You're in for a treat then. Um, S.M. Lockridge was born in 1913. He died in the year 2000. He... uh, was one of eight children born to a Baptist preacher in Texas. He was an English teacher for a few years, and then he was called to preach in 1940. And he served his first church in 1942 for 10 years in Texas. I think, believe it was Ernie, Texas, a fourth ward Baptist church. And then in uh, two years later, so 19, what would that be? Well, two years later, he was called by Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California. Now, just imagine going from Texas to San Diego in in the middle of the century there. He was there pastoring that church for 41 years. And so he served, served two churches his entire lifetime. After 41 years in San Diego, he retired from the pastorate and spent the remaining years of his life. So that was about 1993, I suppose, that he left there. And he spent the rest of his life um, as an itinerant evangelist and speaker. His ministry has impacted all over the country. He entertained presidents. I believe it was Nixon that invited him to the White House. And, uh, of course, he, he, used to, he used to like telling that story until the 70s, and then he, uh, or until after Watergate, and then he, then he wasn't so excited about telling the story. But uh, he died in 2000 probably never realized just the amount of impact that he would make because he preached this particular sermon, and uh, the best I could tell, it was 1987 at a church in Kentucky. And when he preached this sermon, he probably had no idea that part of the sermon, the, the end part... Now, you got to understand, as a black pastor, um, there are certain cultural parts of preaching. One of those cultural parts is called whooping. And so at the end of a sermon... For, for most black churches, you will find this, this uh, uh, it's, a, it, it's almost a melodic uh, ending to the sermon. And you know what I'm talking about, right? He, he gets on a roll, and for a, a series of minutes, sometimes longer, sometimes less, it's this, this very empowering, very excited uh, uh, finale, if you will, to the message. And so when he did that, he probably had no idea that Years later, that clip would be taken and remanufactured with graphics and then sent out as a video, and it's watched by millions of people. 
and has impacted millions of people. One of my friends saw this because I sent it to him this past week. And they sent me a text and said, man, if that don't get you excited, your wood is wet. Actually, I think what he said is that if that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. He said he was driving down the road and he almost ran off the road. It was so, it was so inspiring. And so, um, so today's message is from S.M. Lockridge and it's out of Matthew 6, verses 5:13. Now, he begins his message. And by the way, I'm going to post the original message onto our Facebook account. And this message you'll be able to get off of our, our website and then also Facebook. We're still working on how to host that. You don't want to know all the details, but it's, a lot, it's not as simple as it seems. So we're all, we almost got it. Um, the original message, though, give yourself an hour and six minutes. I won't take that long, I promise. However, you can imagine the challenge of boiling down an hour and six minutes into less than 30, right? Not only that, but, but uh, his style is, uh, he starts here, and then he goes here, then he goes here, then he goes here, then he goes here, then he goes here. It's more of a conversation than anything else, so trying to outline this and, and follow it has it's been a challenge, so I'm going to do my best. But he starts by saying that people always ask him, what does SM stand for? Because his, his name, his, his, uh, he's known for all of his life as S.M. Lockridge. He said, well, S.M. stands for Shadrach Meshach. <laughs> now, you'll have to listen to the tape to get the rest of the joke. That actually is the truth. His name is Shadrach Meshach. But people always ask, why wasn't your name also Abednego? I'm not going to tell you the rest of it. But you need to go and listen to it. It's rather, it's rather good. Um, but he tells us, he said, look, a sermon should do at least four things for you. A sermon should, number one, stretch your mind. It ought to teach you something. You ought to be able to learn something from every sermon you listen to. Number two, it ought, in his words, to tan your hide. Right? It was funny. I, I was talking to somebody one time, and they were upset because they didn't tan their hide. I said, well, I'll try next time to be mean. I'll try next time to be a little more direct. I, I suppose that would be a good thing. The third thing, it should warm your heart. It should encourage you. It should make you uh, uh, feel a little closer to God. Even if it tans your hide, it should, it should warm your heart. And the fourth thing is it ought to inspire you to do something. It ought to move you towards obedience. You know, if we just stopped right here and just took this truth. Now, this, this, there's no, I think it's biblical truth, although there's no verses connected to it. But think about it. When we come on a Sunday morning or when we come on a Wednesday or when we come anytime to hear God's Word and to interact with God's Word, what are we expecting? Because, you know, the truth of the matter is a great sermon delivered to an unreceptive heart is, is, is useless. A great sermon that, that, that's given with e to ears that don't hear is, is just words. And I've discovered that a mediocre sermon delivered to receptive ears and receptive heart is life-changing. Because, you know, the power is in God's Word. The power is in, is in what God says. You know, the, the person delivering it is only, a, um, is only a, uh, uh, an instrument. And so, as we, as we listen to whatever sermon we're listening to, whether it's Sunday or whether it's another day of the week, we ought to have these expectations. And so, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Let's read this. 
Oh, here, here's, a, here's an interesting tidbit before we get started here. Um, you say, what, we didn't start yet? No, before we read the passage, you would not believe the number of sermons that are considered classics that the sole subject is prayer. That ought to tell us something. That those that are classics oftentimes are on the topic of prayer. Prayer to us is like having a check made out from the bank of heaven, yet so many of us refuse to cash it. So God has written us a check, but we just won't cash it. That check is prayer. Matthew chapter 6 says this, verse 13, excuse me, verse 5 and following. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We must always pray. Prayer is not an option. Prayer is a necessity. Do you ever wonder why the disciples did not ask Jesus to teach them how to preach? Now, one time do you have a disciple saying, Jesus, will you teach us to preach? Now, one time do you have a disciple coming and saying, Jesus, will you teach us to do miracles? Jesus, will you teach us to cast out demons? What did they ask him? Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, why do you suppose that's the case? It's because prayer is paradoxical in nature. In order to pray, you got to pray. If you want to learn to pray, you got to pray. And it's interesting because if you go to seminary, you may get, I think I remember, one class on prayer. But the majority of teaching is in theology, it's in theology and it's in the practical matters of organization, which is actually not a whole lot of that anyways. But, but it, it, it's all these other subjects. But, but teaching to pray is, is, is somewhat lacking, if not almost completely lacking, in most theological educations. And I would dare say, in most churches, teaching to pray, and we're guilty of this at least to a degree, prayer is, is we talk about it a lot, we, we, we encourage it, but, but we rarely actually focus in and learn to do it. I think if the disciples had to learn to pray, then we have to learn to pray. Because as I said, it, it's, it's having a check made out from the bank of heaven, given to us as God's people, and we simply won't cash it. When Jesus spoke on prayer, he spoke on it in a way that is so normal and natural and expected. And then the scripture says, and when you pray, not if you pray, 
Not maybe you'll pray, but when you pray. Could you imagine what God must think when he looks at his people and he says, you know, you could just pray and my promises would be true. Could you imagine Jesus turning to the Father and saying, Father, I just don't understand why they won't cash the check. And yet, time and time again, you and me and other believers, we go about doing things and prayer seems to be a last resort. It seems to be something that we get to after everything else has tried. What if we became a people who prayed first and prayed continually and prayed without ceasing and prayed very simply the way Jesus taught us to pray? You know, there's a lot in this passage and quite frankly, uh, S.M. Lockridge skips over the first, he just kind of skims through the first couple of verses here, but I want to I remind you that that prayer is not to be seen. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray out loud, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, have, <clears throat> have corporate times of prayer. The point of the passage is this. Don't pray so that your prayer is something that is only public. What he's saying is, your prayer should be a private matter first. If you only pray in public, you're not really praying. If you don't pray in private, don't pray in public. Think about that, amen? And listen, we know the difference between somebody who prays only in public and who prays also in private. There are some people, when they start to pray, you know that that's not the first time they've prayed. I used to pray with a lady at a church when I was in college. Uh, I was a youth minister there, and we decided we would pray every Sunday morning for the church and for for God's Spirit to move and for people to come to know Christ. And her name was... uh, uh, Carrie. And so we would get together. It was her and me and, and, and uh, just one or two other people. We couldn't get anybody else to show up. And so we would, we would sit down and we would start praying. And when Carrie would start praying, Carrie Brizendine, when she would start praying, I always had this sense of, man, she's, she's done this before. In fact, a lot of my prayer I learned from her because she would start with, with Father and she would have this conversation with God that, that as I would listen, I would think to myself, man, that is, that is rich. That is deep. I should also tell you about Carrie that uh, she had some, uh, some marital things that were going on, not so much on her part, but on her husband's part. Uh, actually, this is recorded. I, she'll be okay with this. Um, but she would not divorce her husband. There, there, was, there was not abuse, but she said no. I can't live with him, so he's going to have to live somewhere else. But, I, but I'm going to pray that God will restore him. And her kindness to him over 20 years before he died, he not only came to faith in Christ, but he also uh, was restored to her in, in the way that she had been praying. And I heard her pray for years and years and years. And her prayers were that, what was this. Lord, only you can change this man. Let me tell you, it was a marvelous sight. I'll never forget it. But Jesus is saying, look, don't pray just to be seen <clears throat> as someone who's a prayer so that you'll be seen as spiritual. No, you pray in private. And when you pray in private, there will be a power to your life that you won't find anywhere else. And so we must always pray and we ought to start always with thanks. The Bible tells us that we should be thankful. Amen? 
S.M. Lockridge, it's funny, he talks about, uh, just so you'll know, this is Donovan. Hey, Donovan, say hi. <laughs> Donovan is uh, one of our security team, and so if you see people walking around and checking things, that's what they're doing. They're just keeping us safe. Um, so you don't want to mess with him. He's a bad dude. He wears a shirt, I'm a bad mamba jamba, and he is. Um, so just in case you see people wandering around, don't be alarmed. That's, I felt like I needed to tell you that. So um, Lockridge says, look, early in his ministry, he would come to the Lord and start complaining. Lord, they're so hard to me. Lord, they won't listen. Lord, my life is in, in, in ruins. Lord, Lord, Lord. He said he finally got to the point where he realized that God didn't really want to hear him complaining so much. So he, he stopped complaining, and he started being thankful. Lord, thank you that you provide for me. Lord, thank you that you are good. Lord, thank you that you are a protector. Lord, thank you that I'm not alone. And he said it changed everything. Let me ask you a question. When you pray, how much time do you spend thanking God, and how much time do you spend complaining to God? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring our concerns to Him. No, we are to do that, but we need to start with thanksgiving. Amen? We need to start... With, with a heart that recognizes the goodness of God. We need to start understanding that God is on His throne and God has done a lot of things in this world that we can be thankful for. And when it changes our heart, when it changes our perspective, our prayers are different. We're no longer praying as a, as a complaint. We're praying as, a, as a, 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 a conversation, asking God to intervene and to intercede in ways that only He can do. And so... Today's subject is actually different than just prayer. Today's subject is amen. No, really, amen. It's the very last of verse 13. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. What does it say? Amen. Amen is found in the Old Testament some 30 times. It's found in the New Testament some 50 times. Amen means so be it. It means I agree. It means let it be. It means that which is certain, that which is credible, that which is true. It is a superlative. It has a finality to it. When you say amen, you are putting your stamp of approval or your stamp of agreement on what has been said. Now, it used to be that, or, and I, I guess I still do it, that sometimes I'll say amen, right? And I'll ask for something. Now, we, have, we in the white church have a little bit more difficult time doing this than, than Lockridge did in his church. They're a lot more vocal sometimes than, than we tend to be. And let me tell you something. You don't ever have to worry about interrupting a preacher and taking away his thought by saying amen. In fact, all you're ever going to do by saying amen is get the preacher going a little bit better. I promise you it's easier to preach to a crowd who's saying amen than a, than a crowd who's saying nothing. Amen? <laughs> so don't ever worry about saying Amen? Now, I will tell you, sometimes you can amen too much if, if, if it's not real. So don't, don't ever fake the amen, but if you agree with it, amen, right? Because amen says, yes, Lord, I agree. Yes, Lord, I'm in. Amen has this, has this, uh, this, this, this idea of I am in with you, and I want you to have your way in me. In fact, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? Now, don't say amen if you don't agree with it, because you're just a liar. Those aren't my words. Those are his words. Don't ever, don't ever say amen if you don't agree with it, but if you agree with it, amen. 
Because that's a, that's a confirmation between you and God. Yes, I agree. I'm in. My answer is yes. And so we should pray. It's not optional. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Remember, the disciples asked, how do we pray? Here's what Jesus said. Now, when I was in school, I don't know if they still do it anymore. But when I was in school, they taught me how to write a letter. Do y'all remember that? There were six parts to a letter. At least six parts to a friendly letter, right? Do they still do that today in school? They don't do that anymore? I guess it, I guess it, it shows by, by, by some of the writing skills that you and I have probably seen, right? But it used to be that that was standard education. They would give us how, they would tell us how to write a letter. And so Jesus actually follows these six rules. He didn't know it, but he invented the friendly letter. I'm actually probably thinking he knew it. The first is what? The first is a name or an address of the recipient. Uh, excuse me, it's, it's a name. Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father. We begin a prayer with our Father. Now, let me step back a little bit. There's always debate on, is this a model prayer? Are we supposed to pray this verbatim, word for word? What if we leave a piece out? Are we supposed to say it together? All of that stuff just distracts from, from what Jesus is saying. This was never meant to be a prayer that we just recite. He was teaching us how to pray. So if I'm, um, if I'm wanting to, to, to do tile... In my house, which I am wanting to do tile, and I don't know how to do it, what am I going to do? I'm going to pull up a YouTube video. By the way, their timing is never the same as what it really takes. Don't forget, they're professionals, you're not, right? Well, I'll give you an example. The other day I had, or just two days ago, I had to replace the starter on my daughter's car. And I've redone it before, but I figure, hey, it's a different car. I've never replaced this starter. I'll just YouTube a video, and it'll show me you know, what size bolts to use and all that. And the guy said, it's a 10-minute job. Wasn't quite a 10-minute job. Of course, he had all of his tools right next to him. I had to search for every single tool I needed. And it wasn't pretty. But, but you know what? I didn't do it exactly like he said to do it on the video. But he gave me the plan. He, he gave me the general direction, right? So when Jesus said, this is how you pray, it's not necessarily you pray exactly like this every time. But, but I would say this. He's given us a direction. It's probably pretty smart for us to follow that direction. Amen? Probably, probably if I, I would say it this way. We could pray another way, but if we want to pray the closest to the way Jesus said to pray, just, just kind of follow this direction. And he starts by a name. And the name is this. Our Father. Now, I want you to think of who's saying this. Jesus is saying, here's how you pray. Our Father. You notice that it's not my Father. It's our Father. Jesus was saying to the disciples, He's our Father. Now these were believers. These weren't, these weren't people outside of the body of Christ. These were those who were believers. And so Jesus was, was saying to them, Look, He's my Father. He's your Father. And guess what? If you have the same Father, you are what? Your kin. Your brothers or your sisters. Interestingly enough, when Jesus talked about being one in John chapter, uh, oh gosh, in the book of John, 14, 15, 16, 17, when he talked about 
10. There too. When, when he talked about being one, he said, Lord, Father, may they be one. He was talking about family. He was talking about family being together. Can you think of how hard it would be for a family to do what a family's supposed to do when a family's fighting internally? You know, I think that the greatest tragedy that I could ever possibly see and that we could see is when the enemy gets himself into the body of Christ and causes such division that they can't even talk to each other. So how in the world are they going to talk to anybody outside of the church? It's a strategy that the enemy has used since the foundation of time. Cain and Abel, right? Let's divide, because if I can divide, I'll distract you from being able to do anything for God's kingdom. He says, our Father, when we realize that we're brothers and we're sisters, we talk to each other differently. But back to prayer. So he says, begin with the name, our Father. And then... There's a greed, or there's a, a, an address of the recipient. Remember writing this letter? You, you write the name, then you write the address. The address of the recipient is this. Who art in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven. It's a reminder to us that we're not talking to someone who's earthly. It's a reminder to us that we're not, we're not asking of someone whose power is lacking. Our Father... In heaven. And guess what? If he's in heaven, he's also everywhere. Isn't it funny that we oftentimes will ask Jesus to be in our meeting? Lord, we pray that you'll be here. We don't have to ask him here. He's already here. And as Lockridge says, the only one that's uninvited is the devil. And the only way the devil can be here is if you bring him. Think about it. The only way the enemy can be here is if you bring him. Or if I bring him. Hopefully I don't bring him either. But God is already here. God is in all places at all times. And because he is everywhere, we don't have to invite him to be there. He's already there. We ultimately need to ask him to help us to recognize that he's there. And so our Father who is in heaven. And then the third part is a greeting or a salutation. Now this depends upon whom you're writing. If you're writing to an acquaintance, then your greeting is, Dear Sir, right? Dear friend, well, what if it's a love letter? Man, you'll spend hours trying to get that part just right. My precious cupcake. No, 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 no. My most beautiful lily of the vat. No, 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 no. I mean, you'll labor, right? Now, I, I got to be honest with you. We don't write letters anymore. But, but I'm blown away when I, when I listen to the stories or I, I see documentaries or whatever of, of people who've, of, of love letters that are written between a guy and a girl back in the 40s. I mean, they are just, they're using all kinds of adjectives and adverbs. You know what I'm talking about, right? How many of you have a love letter that was either written to you or that you wrote somewhere stashed away in a box that, that you've kept it and it's, let me see, anybody? Really, huh? Wow. Did, was there some attention paid to the greeting? Because that's important, isn't it? Our Father, the name, the address, who art in heaven, 
the greeting, hallowed be your name. He's holy. Hallowed means holy. It's a recognition that we are talking to the God of the universe. Now, to be holy is to be others, to be separate. In this, there's some sense of understanding that we don't deserve to be talking to God. I want you to think about this. We don't deserve to have this conversation with God. And yet God has torn away the veil. In the scripture, the Bible says that he tore away the veil from top to bottom, giving us direct access to God. Aren't you glad you don't have to go through somebody else to talk to God? There was a, there was a local pastor here that, that I, I thought we were good friends. And I called because I, I, I changed my cell phone. I didn't have his number anymore. And, and I had to go through a secretary to get to him. And I'll be honest, that irritated me. I, I said, you know, if I can't get you directly, I ain't talking to you at all. How many of y'all have ever felt that way? Right? Don't send me through somebody to talk to you. Either we're going to talk or we're not. I'm not talking to your secretary. I'm not going to give them a message to give to you so you can give them a message to give to me. It ain't working that way. If you want to be friends, we'll be friends. Otherwise... Ain't gonna happen. That might just be my pride talking, but still, I was quite offended. Can you imagine the fact that the creator of the universe has given you direct access to him? And we rarely use it except for emergencies. Rarely. I say we collectively, I know that that's not always the case for everybody. Could you imagine having direct access to the President of the United States? That's a, that's a hard thing to say nowadays, depending on what year and all. It's all but, but you get the idea, the office, right? Could you imagine having direct access to the mayor? Could you ever imagine having direct access to the governor? Where you could just pick up a phone and say, hey, hey man, how you doing today? You didn't have to go through a secretary. You didn't have to send a, a letter I like the way S.M. Lockridge says, he says, look, I appreciate you praying for me. Don't stop. But when it comes to prayer for me, I don't trust you. Nobody can pray for you like you. Amen? Only you can pray for you the way you need to be prayed for. Now, other people need to pray for you, but don't let somebody else do your talking to God. You talk to God. And so there's a, there's a salutation, and it's hallowed be your name. And then the fourth part is the body. He said that when he was being taught, and I was being taught, I remember this too, that you always start off by saying something about the person you're writing, right? You start off by, by hey, how are the kids? How's the wife? And as Jesus says, he, uh, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's expressing interest in God. Now, I just want to step back a second and say that for the, for the majority of prayers that we pray, we go in and get right to the point of what we want God to do. Right? Lord, we got to talk. And I need you to handle this now. And if the Lord could talk back, he'd probably say, well, then why did you wait till now to ask me? Right? 
And before we even get to what you want, how about a little understanding of who I am? And by the way, who are you to be demanding of me what you want in your time? Amen? And so this whole prayer is a different tone than what we often take. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or trespasses as we often have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one and then there's a complimentary close this is the fifth part of the letter for yours is the kingdom now if you have a translation of the bible that doesn't have that you'll notice that there's a little letter and it'll bring you down to the bottom that's because there's not uh, uh, absolute agreement on all the manuscripts, whether or not this is original to the, to the text. And so they acknowledge that by putting it in a subscript. For yours is the kingdom. Well, every kingdom has a king. What king do you serve? Can I tell you about my king? My king was born a king. The Bible says he was a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He was the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He is the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Now, that's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? Do you know him? Don't try to lead, mislead me. Do you know my king? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there is no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He is preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. Do you know him? He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's strong God and he guides. guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners and he discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway to deliverance. He's the pathway to peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness, and he's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of all the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. 
He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Yeah, that's my king. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough, and his grace is sufficient. He reigns in righteousness. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's indescribable, yes. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man can explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him out of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses could not get their testimonies to agree, and Herod could not kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. He's always been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there will be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's going to reign, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king, and thine is the the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, all the power belongs to my king. We're all around here talking about power and this power and that power, but it's God's power. For thine is the power and the glory. And we try to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all his. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. And when you go through all of the forevers, then, amen. amen. And that is the sixth part of the letter. Your signature. The signature is when you say to God, yes, Lord, amen. I want to encourage you to begin today to make prayer the single most important thing you do. Prayer is not a one-way conversation. It's a dialogue. So you should be listening more than you're talking. But I assure you, in history, there is no powerful man or woman of God who did not have a bottomless prayer life. Preachers all over the country today are standing in pulpits, preaching sermons, expecting great things from God without power. Because they're expecting that their sermon is going to change lives. And sermons only change lives when it's got the unction of the Spirit of God behind it. That's, that's because of the man has been on his knees asking God to speak. Let's pray. Father... I do pray that you would burden us with a call to simply pray. The foundations of the heavens are moved when your people pray. God, you, are, you will send revival to your people. Everything is ready if we will only pray. 
Lord, there's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't do. But God, let this spur us to doing something so simple and yet so powerful. I ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.